Thank you. You may be seated for just a moment. If you'll take your Bibles, go to Acts chapter number 16, and uh, that's where we'll find our, um, our text here uh, this morning. It certainly is our uh, pleasure to be here, and uh, as Dr. Rasmussen just said a moment ago, my daughter is uh, 13 years old. She's in eighth grade, and so when uh, I began to think about this trip, as uh, much as it pained me, I began to realize that it won't be too long before she'll be uh, considering college and praying about uh, where God would have her to go. And uh, so I thought it'd be wise uh, for, for me to bring her with me. And uh, so we spent a great day yesterday together here in Southern California and then drove up last night and uh, we'll fly home uh, this evening. Hey, look, you're in a great place. Thank God for West Coast Baptist College. And uh, thank God for uh, a church that you can uh, obviously learn in and grow under. Obviously, that's not taking anything away from your church home and where uh, you came from. Many of you, of course, scattered all across uh, this country. Uh, but thank God, my understanding is you saw God do some incredible things here this past weekend. Uh, you saw many souls saved. You saw, uh, again, just God, God work in an unusual way. And uh, boy, never, never, um, never lose sight of that. And uh, let me also just help you uh, understand something. I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm uh, talking to a group of young people, specifically maybe those of you who are juniors and seniors. And maybe even those of you that are, that are freshmen, and so, freshmen and sophomores as well. And, and maybe perhaps you're, you're already looking beyond this place and you're saying, you know, what's next? Now that's understandable. I, I get all of that. Uh, but, but can I encourage you to take full advantage of what, of what you have right here and right now? You know what I find? I find that we as human beings, and this is not, this is not just college students or teenagers, but I find myself doing this as well. We, we, a lot of times we spend our whole lives and we, we wish our lives away. We're constantly thinking about the next step. Some of you, perhaps you're, you're a freshman this year and you think to yourself, man, you know, my senior year of high school was great, but I, it might have been a little bit better had I not spent my whole senior year thinking about, well, where I was going to be right now. And, um, and, and so some of you right now, you're, you're missing some things that maybe God has for you in college because you're thinking about what's next. And where, where am I going to pastor? What mission field am I going to go to? What Christian school am I going to teach in? And what, what, kind, of, what kind of sport am I going to coach? And, and, and so let me encourage you, there's nothing wrong with dreaming and having big dreams about the future, but let me encourage you just to enjoy where you are right now. And thank God for uh, West Coast Baptist College. I know it's midterm week. I, I, I'm given to understand it's midterm week, so maybe my, maybe my message is falling on hollow ears right now uh, because you don't want to you don't want to thank God for being in college currently because it is midterms week. But but I'm just telling you that uh, the years go by so fast. And Dr. Rasmussen just said just a moment ago uh, that I, I've been where I am now for 17 years, and it just seems like yesterday that I was in Bible college. And, um, and, and it just, how quickly, how quickly time goes. And so again, thank you so much. Thank you for responding to the call of God upon your life and, and for choosing to, uh, to further your education and try to get what God has for you in Bible college. Well, I hope you found your place there in Acts chapter number 16. And I, w- I am going to invite you to stand as we read the passage of scripture, as we respect and reverence and honor God's word. And so we'll start in Acts chapter 16, a very familiar passage of scripture. We'll begin in verse one, we'll read down through verse Number 10, and I will tell you that I am preaching a series uh, in our church uh, on Sundays um, out of the book of Acts. And so this message, uh, Brother Shetler was just praying a moment ago, and he was talking about having tasted of this. And so literally, I just preached this last Sunday night, and and it was a help, I believe, to our church family. I know it was a help to me, and I believe that there's some great application that we can make uh, to you all as Bible college students as well. So 
Let's look in Acts chapter 16, begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then came he, speaking of Paul, to Derby and, and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him, Timotheus, would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decree for to keep, that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And, as they, and they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, you'll find the title for our message found in verse number 9. It's the last two words. Those words are, help us. And I want to preach to you this morning on that subject, help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for West Coast Baptist College. I thank you for its leadership. Thank you for its student body, for its vision and goal to train laborers for your harvest. Lord, I thank you also for the word of God, for without it we would have nothing with which to train. No, we, would, we would have no knowledge of who you are. We would not know that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so we thank you for this book. Lord, chapel is a time in which we set aside to consider what you have for us from your word. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd help these students for a few moments to put aside the cares of this life and this world and to focus on this book. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to forget about whatever test they might have coming uh, this afternoon or uh, tomorrow, the next day, uh, at least just for this time. And, Lord, may we focus on this. And, uh, again, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, that you'd use me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Well, I think most of us would agree that this world's a pretty tough place, isn't it? Uh, obviously, you're located not too far, probably a few hours' drive from the city of Las Vegas, in which, of course, that has all been on our hearts and minds over the last week or so. One of the fascinating things about ministry that, um, that, that you're going to find, and maybe you're even finding now, is that you're going to meet a lot of people and you're going to deal with a lot of things. I was having lunch just this past Sunday afternoon with a kind of a newer couple in our church. My wife and I were seated with them, and, uh, and, and he's been coming to our church for a while, and and as we were talking, he shared with me, he said, I, 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 meant, I, was, I was in line to talk to your, your dad uh, earlier this morning, and I just didn't get a chance to do it. And he said, but I thought I'd just share this with you. He said, last Sunday night, I was at the Mandalay Bay Hotel and Casino. He said, I was there. He said, I got out 10 or 15 minutes before that whole thing began to transpire and began to start. And, uh, and, and that's the thing about ministry is, is that you, that you preach and you think, well, that's, that's a long way away. I, 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 I that I'm grieved about that, but I, I, I don't know anybody that's affected by that. You just never know. In the day and age in which we're living in, in this world that we're, uh, that, that we're dealing with, now we, we see so much heartache and so much tragedy and so much turmoil. Man, this world is a crazy place, isn't it? It's a tough place. I was thinking about why this world is such a tough place, and I, I think we all recognize and understand it's because of the curse of sin. 
Now the curse of sin is a prevailing thing. I, I went to the book of Genesis chapter number 3 where, of course, we find Adam and Eve eating of the fruit that God had told them that they could not eat of. And we find God comes on the scene and, and at the end of that chapter, God pronounces several curses. We find that there's a curse placed on the serpent. We find there's a curse placed on the man and on the woman. We find there's a curse placed on the earth in general as a whole. And as we read through Genesis chapter number 3, we find words like cursed. We find words like enmity. We find words like sorrow. We don't just find them, you know, just, just here, but we find it all throughout that passage of Scripture. And, and, and we really, we find it all throughout the Word of God. And as we look around this world, we find that those words are still very, very prevalent and there's still things that you and I have to deal with and we have to, have to face from time to time. And I'm reminded that the, the simple fact is that sin produces all of these things and so much more. It produces curse, yes. It produces enmity. It produces sorrow. It produces devastation and frustration and heartache and difficulty. In fact, the curse of sin is so strong that the Bible teaches in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 22 that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. It's as if, it's as if this world, and I'm not just talking about the people, but I'm talking about all of creation, it's as if this world is, is groaning and, and travailing and, and crying out for redemption, for salvation, for some relief from the pain and the suffering that sin always causes and produces. Romans 8.23, the very next verse goes on to say, and not only they, not just creation, not just this earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars, but, but we also, we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. I, I'm not really all that old. I'm 38. I, I, um, I can remember being a college student. I can remember sitting where you sit and, and thinking I still so much I want to do and so much I want to accomplish. But now as a 38-year-old man and dealing with people and dealing with problems and, and dealing with sometimes even my own, my own physical problems that, that, that a body that ages begins to deal with, I wholeheartedly agree with this verse. Man, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on board, yes, I'm groaning and I'm travailing and I'm saying, yes, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Dear God, take us away from all of the pain and all of the sorrow and all of the heartache that is part of this world that comes as a result of the curse of sin. So, where does this leave us as God's people? I'm presuming that by preaching to a student body of a Bible college that there was a point in time when you also heard a Macedonian call of sorts. Just as Paul heard from this man in Macedonia, uh, there in Acts chapter 16 and verses 9 and 10, I'm presuming that you also have heard this cry, and that at some point in your life you responded to the cry. Perhaps it was at a youth camp. Maybe you went with your, your youth group and your church to a youth camp. And maybe you went just to have fun and to have a good time and to hang out with your friends. But God got a hold of your heart at that youth camp. And maybe you could take me to the place where you surrendered your all and you went to the altar and you fell down on your face before God and you said, God, I give you it all. I give you my life. I give you my potential. I give you my future. You can have it all. Maybe it was on a missions trip. Maybe you went just to see another part of the world. 
Maybe you went because it was the popular thing to do, but you got over there and you saw those people and you realized that there is a world outside of the world that you and I know and that you and I live in and you saw that there's real need and that there's real heartache and that there's real sorrow and that there are people who have never heard the gospel and you fell out on your face in some foreign land in some foreign soil somewhere and you prayed and you bowed your heart and your head and you said, God, I give you my life. And you responded to the cry for help. That's what God's people ought to do. As they see a need, and they've experienced some level, we've experienced some level of victory over, over sin. We, at least we ought to be. How do we experiencing some level of victory over our flesh, over, over sin, over this world, and over the devil? And we look around us and we see a world that has no idea how to have victory. They're completely, completely given over to the flesh and giving over to sin. And they have no idea what God's word has to say. And we as Christians, we come along and we become that light in the darkness. And we provide that salt that this world so desperately needs to, to bring about some preservation. And, and so that's what God has called us to do. Is to respond to this cry for help. Listen, I look around this world and I see the world is crying out for help. The world, the world doesn't know necessarily what kind of help it needs. See, the world thinks they need, they need better politicians. The world thinks it needs more money. If we could just throw a little bit more money at this problem or this issue, then it would go away. And the world thinks, well, if we could just get better education... If we could just educate these kids just a little bit better, give them a better chance to succeed, the world has no idea what the answer or what the solution to its problem is. But guess what? You all in here, you know the answer. And it's not, it's not better politicians, and it's not more money, and it's not a greater military, and it's not more education or more spending or, or whatever the, the, the answers and solutions are given in the marketplace. No, listen, the answer to the world's greatest problem is Jesus Christ. And, and you and I sitting in this room, you and I as Christians and as believers, we're the key. We're the ones who who can provide help. We're the ones who can rise up when the world says, help us! We ought to be the first ones there. I want you to notice from this passage of Scripture four thoughts about those who, who desire to be a help in this sin-cursed world. I, I want you to just take to heart some things that I think can be found very clearly and very specifically in this passage of Scripture. Number one, I want to say this. Those who will help, need help. Those who will help, need help. In other words, you, you've seen the Macedonian call. It, it may not be for you the Macedonian call. Maybe for you it was uh, the call from another land. Maybe for you it was the call of the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to preach my gospel. I want you to be a preacher, to be a missionary, whatever the case might be. You, you've seen that call and you respond and you said, I surrender. I, I will answer yes to you, Lord. I'm willing to do it. Well, well, listen, if you're going to be a help, you're going to have to have some help. No man can do it alone. No woman can do it alone. No, no church even can do it all by itself. Those who will be a help must have help. We find here that the man who received this vision was the Apostle Paul. But he's not the only man in this passage. 
There are several other people that are found here that, listen, that God very clearly directed their steps and directed their paths and, and brought them right to the Apostle Paul for this work. Many of us are aware that in Paul's first missionary journey, he had a partner, his name was Barnabas. In that same missionary journey, they had another young man along with them. And it was interesting, this young man happened to also be Barnabas' nephew. His name was John Mark. So we find earlier in the book of Acts, we find that on their first missionary journey, really kind of just as it's getting started, the Bible says that John Mark left them. He, he walked away from the work. No, no reason really is given, but, it, but it, left, it left a bad taste in Paul's mouth. And when they, when they returned back from that first missionary journey, they, they got there with the church at Antioch, and they celebrated, and they rejoiced. And, and it seems as though perhaps there was some attempt on John Mark's part to, uh, to, uh, to, to make up for what he had done for, for leaving them. And Barnabas was all about welcoming him back into the fold. Absolutely, come on, let's, let, let's do this again. I, I, have, I have faith in you. You've learned from your mistakes. But Paul was not so quick to forgive. And the Bible says that there was sharp contention between the two of them. Listen, I'm talking about two godly men. I, I know, I know we, we live in a world and we, we, we hate confrontation. And, and I, I think you ought to hate it. I think you ought not to go looking for problems and looking for issues. But I also want you to know it is possible for two godly men, two good men to disagree on things. That, that is possible. And, and sometimes, listen, sometimes even God takes that disagreement and, and God maybe even, there's, there's, a, there's a distancing between two people and God uses them both in even greater ways than, than they could have been used if they stayed together. I know that seems impossible to believe, but that's, that seems to be exactly what takes place in Acts chapter 15. Because Barnabas says, well, look, I'm determined to take my nephew. And Paul says, I'm determined that he not go with us. And the dissension, the, the, the problem was so sharp between the two of them that they separated. And here's what happened. Barnabas says, okay, John Mark, you're coming with me. And they headed this direction. And the Bible tells us that they went west. And Paul says, well, I know God's called me to preach. And I know God's called me to start churches. So I'm leaving Antioch too. But I need a partner. Let me see. Oh, here's a man by the name of Silas. Silas, you come with me. And here's what happened. Paul, he headed north. So in other words, you got one man going north, one man going, going west, and had they stayed together, the two of them together could have only gone one direction. So we see here that God is so amazing, God is so incredibly so awesome, that even sometimes in our problems, God turns those things around for His good and for His glory. And, and so we see here that there's this, there's this problem and there's this issue. And so here's what God does. God replaces Barnabas with a man by the name of Silas. And that's great. But God takes it a step further. Because Paul sets out on this trip and, and, and God says, now look, you're, you're also going to be missing that young man because you would have had John Mark with you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you another young man. And God gives him in the early verses there in Acts chapter 16, he gives him a young man by the name of Timothy. Chances are Paul had led Timothy to Christ on the previous missionary journey. And that Timothy, man, when Paul left and went back to Antioch, Timothy continued to grow and he continued to flourish. And when Paul got back to where Timothy lived, man, he was, he was a fine young man in the faith. And Paul could see that God's hand was upon him and the churches were supporting him and saying, yeah, God has his hand on him. And, and so, and so God replaced, God replaced Barnabas with Silas. God replaced John Mark with Timothy. But God gave, God gave Paul another helper. 
His name isn't specifically mentioned here, but you can see him. I want you to look in verse number 10. Look what the Bible says. And after he had seen the vision, immediately notice the next word, we. Well, who's writing, who's writing the book of Acts? Well, we know his name is Luke. We're going to talk about maybe, just maybe how Luke came onto the picture here in just a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But we find here that God gives, God gives Paul even somebody else. Here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. I think all of us would agree that there's not a person in this room that would say, hey, I feel like I'm, the, I'm on the level of an Apostle Paul. I mean, I just, I just feel like God's hand is, it, you know, I mean, it certainly can be upon us like it was upon him. But I think all of us, if, if we're going to be honest with ourselves and we want to display some level of humility, would have to say, yeah, I'm no Apostle Paul. But listen, even Paul needed help. Even Paul couldn't do it by himself. As great of a man as he was, as great of an apologist as he was, as great of a preacher and a teacher and a soul winner and a discipler and a missionary as he was, God said, you can't do it by yourself. You've got to have some help. Guess what? You and I need help too. You and I cannot just, we, we cannot just run to a lost and dying world and say, I'm going to do it all by myself. No, no, we've got to have some help. You know, what God's, you know what God's doing right now in this room and in this building and in this college and this campus? You know what God's doing? God's, God's bringing together some partnerships. God's developing some friendships and some relationships. And you know what's going to happen? You guys are going to leave this place in 20, 25 years from now. You guys are going to be helping each other. Reach a lost and dying world. Boss, it's so exciting. It's wonderful. Because no man can do it by himself. We look at this church, we think of Lancaster Baptist Church, and of course in a lot of people's minds, they, they instantly they think of Pastor Paul Chapel. He's the pastor, yes, but the first person to tell you, he can't do it all by himself. Oh, there's got to be lots of people that come alongside, and that assist, and that help, and are a blessing to the pastor, and buy into the vision, and give of their lives to reach a lost and dying world. Those who will help need help. So God gives the Apostle Paul, gives him a team. Gives him some people to go alongside of him. For some of you, for some of you men, you know your greatest help is going to be? It's going to be your wife. She's going to be the greatest help that God could possibly give you. Some of, listen, some of you are going to, you're going to go to a, a foreign field. Maybe you're going to be one of the first independent Baptists there blazing a trail. And you know the help that God's going to give you? He's going to give you your wife. He's going to give you some children. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you His Word. And that's going to be pretty much all the help you have until you start winning some people to Christ. But I'm just simply saying, there, there's no man that can stand and look around and say, I've done all of this by myself. Oh, no, no, listen. Those who will help need help. The sooner we understand that and the sooner we realize that and the sooner that we get off of our high horse and we put aside our ego and we realize and understand that I can't do anything by myself. Listen, every bus route, it's got to have a bus driver. It's got to have a bus captain. It's got to have a, a secretary. It's got to have a runner. It's got to have somebody that will help on visitation. Every, I mean, even down to the most elementary level of ministry, every aspect of ministry, if you're going to be a help, you've got to have some help. Nobody can do it all by themselves. Number two, let me say this. Those who will help must sacrifice. Four men that we've talked about here. I believe all four men made a sacrifice. 
in answering the Macedonian call for help. Let's talk about it for a moment, why don't we? Let's talk about Paul. He's the one who received the vision. What sacrifice did Paul make? Well, I I think we we can just consider Paul's life for just a moment. Of course, we realize before Paul got saved who he was and what he was and and the leadership position that he had as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as a a ruler and a leader there in in, in this culture, in this day and age. And uh, and he he has great authority and he has great power. Paul gets saved and, and Paul begins now to live a life of service and ministry and just preaching the gospel. We think, well, what made Paul so unique? I think what made Paul so unique was that he was a man of great intellect. He was brilliant. God did not bless me in that, in that realm. Some of you, perhaps he did. Paul was that type of a person. Oh, Paul could craft an argument. Paul could sit down with pen and paper. He could write an incredible letter. Paul was gifted. And Paul could have used these tools... He could have used these resources that God had planted within him. And Paul could have probably been been a really popular, sought-out speaker. Could have been maybe a a successful author, motivational speaker. I I don't know. Paul could have done a whole lot. Paul could have probably, probably been really, really successful by the world standards. Don't you think? I mean, a man of that type of intellect and, and that type of ability, don't you think that if Paul accomplished what he accomplished for Christ, don't you think that he could have done something similar for himself? Paul says, it's not about me. In fact, Paul's testimony is this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in other words, the sacrifice that Paul made was a willingness to set himself aside and for him to live his life for Christ. Paul sacrificed personal convenience. Paul sacrificed popularity. He even sacrificed his own body for the cause of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. And so in order for Paul to respond to the Macedonian call, in order for Paul to be a help, he was going to have to sacrifice some things. Second character in this passage is Silas, and I believe he made some sacrifices too. We don't have time to go into it a great deal, but when Paul and Barnabas came back from their first missionary journey, they found that there in the church at Antioch had crept in some people that were preaching that in order to be saved, you had to become a Jew. And you say, well, well, how can someone who's not a Jew become a Jew? Well, there were certain things that they were demanding and, 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 and prescribing that Gentiles were not involved in. One of the things that God had said was going to make the Jews different from the rest of the world was this idea of circumcision. And so there were literally, there were men in the church at Antioch that said, look, you can't possibly be saved unless you are circumcised. You can't possibly be saved unless you become a Jew. And Paul and Barnabas came back from this first missionary journey and said, that is absolutely not the truth. That, that, that is a, that's a lie from the very pits of hell. Because listen, salvation has always been and will always be through the blood of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Salvation is not becoming some other nationality. Salvation is not mutilating your body. Salvation is not anything other than placing your all of your faith and all of your trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Well, this caused major, major conflict in the church. Because there's a, there's a faction of people that are saying, you have to become a Jew in order to be saved. And then there's Paul and Barnabas and they're saying, that is ridiculous. So here's what they decided to do. They said, okay, Paul and Barnabas, you guys, why don't you go back to Jerusalem? That's where most of the apostles are. And let's, let's settle this there. Let them decide what's true and what's not true. And so Paul and Barnabas went. 
They got to Jerusalem and they met with the apostles. And we find in Acts, I believe it's chapter 15, we find Peter speaks. Well, first of all, Paul speaks. Then the apostle Peter speaks. And then the apostle James speaks. And all of them are in complete agreement that salvation is by the blood of Christ. It is by grace, through faith, and that alone. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's salvation. It's not becoming a Jew. It's not circumcision. It's not some other, uh, other ritual or habit that you and I can perform or do. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. And so they write this letter, and, and, and that's part of what was referenced in chapter number 16. In, in verse, number, um, uh, verse number 4, the Bible talks about they were ordained to the apostles and elders, the decrees which were ordained to the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. That's this letter they were carrying with them. Well, they, they said, okay, now we're going to send Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. They were the leaders of the salvation by grace through faith alone, this charge. And so when we send them back and they bring this letter, well, the church in Antioch, there might be some people there a little skeptical. Like, well, how can you, how can you say, you, you left here saying it, you come back saying it, you claim you have this letter, but we don't know if these guys really signed this letter or not. How do we know you're not just making this up? These, these guys were so wise, there's just a lot of wisdom that these guys used. So here's what they did. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send, we're going to send some, a team of folks. This team of folks, they're going to go with you, Paul, and, and they're, going to, they're going to be witnesses. Basically say, yeah, I was part of these proceedings. I'm telling you right now that this letter was written by Peter. This letter was written by James. It was signed by the apostles. This is legitimate. This is the real deal. One of those men that was sent from Jerusalem to Antioch is a man by the name of Silas. He's part of that team. So they, they clear this whole matter up. And the church of Antioch is set straight. We're all on the same page here. Okay, salvation is not in becoming a Jew. Salvation is just in believing Jesus Christ with all of your heart. And so they, they, they have this, they settle this issue, they settle this disagreement. And, um, and the Bible says that most of the team returned. But notice in verse number 33, And after they had tarried their space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. So for some reason, the silence is sitting here saying, man, there's just something in my heart. It's not time for me just yet to go back to Jerusalem. I know that's home, and I know the rest of my team, and the rest of the people that travel with me, they've gone back, but I just have this feeling that I need to stay here. At this point, listen, at this point, Paul and Barnabas have not yet had their argument. They've not yet had their conflict. Do you see maybe the Holy Spirit's at work here? Doing something? And so, and so um, the, the argument takes place in verses 36 uh, through 38, 39, whatever the case might be. And we find here that when Paul begins to look around and says, I need some more help. Barnabas and I aren't going together anymore. And he's taking John Mark. Who can I take? Oh, look, here's a man by the name of Silas. And so he comes to Silas. And he says, would you be willing to travel with me? Would you be, listen, imagine what he's asking him to do. He's essentially saying, would you be willing to hazard your life? Preach the gospel. Listen, I'm not, I'm not belittling those who are involved in missionary work in any way, shape, or form today. But I'm just simply saying that, that it had to have been a little bit harder in the first century than it maybe is today. I mean, don't you think just in, just in sheer travel alone? I mean, I'm given to understand as I'm studying this book, I'm preaching through the books, book of Acts, and I'm given to understand that, that you know, listen, they, they would get into this, you know, that one of the reasons why they would stay close to the water is because that's where it's safe. 
There's civilized cities there. But as they would leave those cities on the water, and as they would travel further inland, they would begin to cross mountains. And as they began to cross those mountains, there were some evil people out there looking to do real damage and real harm. I mean, it wasn't just the religious crowd. There were real dangers that these guys were up against. And so he's saying to Silas, he's saying, you want to travel with me? You want to go with me? Well, when are we going to get back? Well, I don't know where we're going to get back. Well, where are we going? I'm not exactly sure where we're going, but, but we're going to go somewhere and we're going to preach the gospel. And Silas says, yeah, I'll go with you. We, we don't know this to be sure. We don't know this to be absolutely true, but there's a chance that Silas never never had a chance to go back to Jerusalem and say goodbye to his family. There's a chance that he never got a chance to go back to his home and kind of tie up any loose ends. You know, maybe find somebody to watch the dog, you know, while he's gone. You know, pay some outstanding bills, whatever the case may be. I mean, we're just, I'm just simply saying that Silas never had a chance to go back and take care of things that you and I maybe would want to take care of before setting out on a journey that might last several years. There's a chance that maybe while he was gone, maybe a dear loved one died. He never got to say a real goodbye to them. I'm just simply saying that Silas made some sacrifices too. Silas sacrificed his home and his family so that a lost world would hear about Christ. Let's talk about the sacrifice of Timothy for just a moment. We've touched on it just a little bit. We won't spend a lot of time here, but Timothy had a Jewish mother and he had a Gentile or a Greek father. He was neither Jew nor Gentile, but he was definitely more Jew than Gentile because his dad had basically said to his mom, look, you raise him however you want to raise him. If you want him to be raised as a, as, as, essentially as a Jew, then so be it. And that's kind of how, I mean, Timothy essentially, we, we gather that he was kind of raised by his mother and his grandmother. And so he definitely has more Jew in him than he has Gentile in him, even though he is neither one or the other. He's a little bit of both. And so Paul could see that, that having him along with them could see that the prejudice of the Jews would be a real problem. And, and here's, here's the problem. The problem is this, the first contact Paul typically made when arriving in a new town was with Jewish people. I mean, he would go in and the, his, the Bible says his manner, his custom was, he'd go to the synagogues first. And there he would debate and he would preach and he would teach. And so here's Paul and he's saying, well, look, if I, if I take you with me and you've never been circumcised, then that's, that's going to keep some people maybe from hearing the gospel. So, Timothy, you've got a choice to make. And Timothy says, it's not, it's not a choice at all. If this, listen, if this will help people hear the gospel, if this will help people be saved, I'm willing to do anything. It doesn't matter to me. You take my hand, take my arm, do, do whatever you got to do. But if this, will, this, if this will bring the gospel into people's homes and into people's hearts and in their lives, the gospel, I know the gospel changes cities and towns. It changes individuals and families. And so if this will enable people to listen to the gospel more, I'm all about it. So Timothy makes a sacrifice. Timothy sacrificed by enduring personal suffering. To help a lost world hear about Christ. Let's talk lastly about the sacrifice of Luke. Well, who was Luke? Well, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of questions about how he comes on the scene right here in this. Pers- I mean, he's the author of Acts. There's no question about that. And so how does he suddenly appear here in verse number 10? What's the deal here? And, and there's, I don't know that there's anything definitive. I did read an interesting thought. And I, I, I'm not presenting this as being dogmatic in any way, shape, or form. Just take it and do whatever you want to with it. But we do know that, t- that, that Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. And there's a, there's, a, there's a chance that perhaps he was practicing his medicine in this town by the name of Troas. 
And that while they were there for a time, they were seeking direction. God, where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to preach? It's possible that Paul began to have some physical ailments and suffering because we know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We know he had a lot of issues, right, physically. And so there's a, there's a chance that he sought out a physician and he just happened to run into this man by the name of Luke. Luke's practicing, practicing medicine and, and Paul needs some medicine and, and wow, here we go. Now, I have no idea if that's exactly true or not. That's an interesting thought nonetheless, because it, it's just interesting that he just appears right here. And he goes from writing in this, this idea of a, of a third person, now he's writing in first person. Now, it, it was before, all the book of Acts before, it's they, they, them, this, you know. Now, all of a sudden, it's we. It's us. So, so, is, is, so, so regardless of how he comes onto the scene, we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what, what sacrifice does Luke make? Well, I think most of us understand that, you know, doctors, they work really hard and they study really hard and there's, there's a lot of education that they go through. And, 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 but there's a, there's a payday at the end, right? I mean, there's, there's a reason why, obviously, they want to help people be whole, that sort of thing, but they also have to provide for their own family. And, 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 so, and so, you know, doctors can be, you know, I mean, they can be people of great authority. Several years ago, I was at the Cleveland Clinic and, of course, Cleveland Clinic's 15, 20 minutes from our church and I was making some hospital visits there and, and uh, the Cleveland Clinic was, was run at this time by a man by the name of Dr. Toby Cosgrove. And Dr. Cosgrove is a world-renowned heart physician. And of course, he, he's overseen the Cleveland Clinic. It is now a worldwide type of a organization. There's a Cleveland Clinic campus in Dubai. There's a Cleveland Clinic campus down in southern Florida, Naples, and Miami. It's all over the world. It's an, it's an incredible place. And you go on their campus, and the Cleveland Clinic is it, 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 it's literally like a city. I was uh, up on one of the upper floors of that place. I was visiting one of the members of our church. And I made my way uh, down the hall. I was just leaving. And I hit the elevator button. And uh, the elevator door opened. And I walked on the elevator with another, another doctor. He got on with me. He had the white lab coat. And uh, so we stood there for just a moment. And we went down a floor. We got down to a lower floor. And uh, all of a sudden, 10 or 12 probably doctors and residents and that sort of thing, they got on the elevator with us and they were all cutting up and have, they were just being normal people because that's, you know, look, at the end of the day, most doctors are just normal people. We went down a couple of more floors, the door opened and there stood Dr. Toby Cosgrove. Now he's a, he's a he, in fact, a, a President Trump had talked about bringing him on to oversee the veterans affairs. I remember that that was something that they were in the local news. So I mean, this guy is a world leader. And Toby Cosgrove steps on the elevator and the moment he did, all of the cutting up and laughing and joking around ceased. Those guys, man, they, they straightened themselves up. They fixed their lab coats. They made sure that the stethoscope was on just right and everything was perfect. And here's what they began to say. Well, hello, Dr. Cosgrove. Hello, Dr. Cosgrove. Hello, Dr. You know. And I'm standing in the back. I'm watching this whole thing. And I got this evil grin on my face, Dr. R. It's kind of like when Dr. R walks in a room around here, you know. And, and immediately we all just, you know, we, we change the way that we, you know, our approach on things. And, uh, and, and so, so we rode down a few more floors and he got off at a, at a lower floor and everybody else stayed on. And I'm telling you, when that elevator door closed, you could hear everybody start breathing again. <laughs> it was one of the funniest things I ever saw. A few more floors we went down, the rest of those doctors, they got off and it was just me and the original doctor standing there. And I looked at him and I said, that was hilarious. I said, that was awesome. He goes, yeah, that guy, man, you don't want to mess with him. When he's around, we all, you know, we all just, I'm just, I'm just simply saying, you know, that doctors are, you know, they're people of prestige and position. Many of them are people of large paychecks. You know, they're pretty successful in life. Listen, Luke gave it all up to travel with Paul and Silas and Timothy, not to practice medicine, but to heal hearts. 
Not to heal people's physical infirmities, but to literally to touch their innermost being. To point them to Jesus Christ. I ask you this question, what sacrifice have you made to help this world? What sacrifice? You say, well, I'm at West Coast Baptist College. Well, I applaud you for that. That's great. But don't just, don't just come out here and just be satisfied that you're out here. Do something while you're out here. Go to Tehachapi or whatever the name of that town was he was talking about. Go with them and knock on some doors. Help a church get started. Get involved in a bus ministry somewhere. Do something for the cause of Christ. Make some sacrifices. Those who will help must sacrifice. Number three, I must hurry. Those who will help must see the need. Verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. I'm so glad. I was in seventh grade. I started working on a bus route. Got me into the inner city of Cleveland and it introduced me to some families and some people that I got to meet and I got to know and I got to begin to go into some homes and see the way some children live and I, and I began to see how blessed I was. Thank you God for my mom and dad. Thank you for a clean home. Thank you for a dad that doesn't swear at me. Thank you for a dad that doesn't beat me. Thank you for a dad that gets up early and spends time with God. Thank you for a dad and mom that make me get up early and go to church on Sunday morning. Don't just make me get on a bus, but they get, they get in the car with me, and we ride there together. Thank you, God, for that. So at sophomore in high school, my dad was taking a trip to the Philippines. He was going to preach there, and it was the month of October, and, and, and several months before that, he, he, he was planning this trip, and he says, he says to me, he says, I was just a sophomore in high school, he says, would you like to go with me to the Philippines? I said, well, when are you going? He said, I'm going in October. I said, how many weeks of school am I going to miss? He said, three. I said, I'm in. And um, I went to the Philippines as a sophomore in high school for the very first time. Flew into Manila. First, first flight I ever took in my life, I flew from Cleveland to Detroit. About a 30-minute flight. Second flight I ever took in my life was from Detroit, Michigan to Tokyo, Japan. 17 hours in an airplane. I thought to myself, I, 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 I'll never do this again. I'll, I'll swim across the Pacific Ocean before I get <laughs> back in this, in this airplane. Listen, God changed my life on that trip. Well, getting off of the airplane and walking into that land in that country and seeing sometimes the way that those people live and what they have to deal with and, 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 and just how difficult life can be. And I, man, I thought to myself, how foolish have I been to complain and to, and to whine about what I don't have when I have so much more than the average person will ever, ever have in their life and I'm just a 10th grader. Changed my life. I've preached on the continent of Africa three times. I've been to Europe and I've been to Asia. I've been to the Philippines three times. I've, I've been all over the world. I've seen the need. I've seen the way these people live. I've been in houses where there's no furniture at all. I saw one time a little baby swinging from a bed sheet that was hung from one side of the house to the other because there was no crib. There's no pack and play to put them in. I've seen the need. I've seen people without the Word of God. I've seen them without the Bible. I've seen them without a church. I've seen them with no knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And I've seen the way that it causes them to live life. I'm just simply saying that if you're going to help, you're going to have to see the need. Listen, please be reminded that just simply having a burden for people is not enough. 
You've got to love Jesus Christ with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. But it certainly doesn't hurt to see the need. And get outside of your comfort zone. Get outside of your little neighborhood and go some places where the gospel has not been. Introduce yourself to some people who've never been to church. Try to impact some lives who don't know Jesus Christ. It'll change your heart. It'll change your life. It'll cause you to be a whole lot better effective in the ministry. It'll cause you to be a whole lot better of a help. Paul saw the need. The man cries out, come over into Macedonia and help us. Listen, Paul, Paul knew exactly what he was asking for. He wasn't asking for more money. He wasn't asking for more government handouts. He wasn't asking for better education. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse number 10, and immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to do what? To give them more money? To feed their bellies? No, no, no. God had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Those who will help must see the need. Lastly, number four, those who will help must not delay. Again, verse number 10, the Bible says immediately. Paul didn't wake up the next morning and say, you know, guys, I had an interesting dream last night. I saw a man from Macedonia and he was crying out to us, come over into Macedonia and help us. What do you think that means? Oh, Paul, you just had too much to eat before you went to bed last night. Forget about it. Yeah, that's true. I, that's really not. I, I, let, let's think about this a little bit. Let me, let me ask God to give us another sign. I know Paul woke up the next morning. And I can imagine he was up before Timothy and he was up before Silas. He was up before Luke. And I can imagine when they woke up, they noticed he was packing his bags. If he had any bags to pack. Paul, what are you doing? We're going to Macedonia. Why are we going there? Because God told us to go there. Well, don't you need to pray about it a little bit longer? No. No, God's clearly spoken. This is where He wants us. Well, well don't, you, don't you need to get a little bit more confirmation? Don't we need to put out another fleece or two? No, no, no. This is what God wants. Immediately, the Bible says that they made their way to Macedonia. They began to preach. And churches like the church at Thessalonica, the church at Corinth, a church at Berea. Churches all over that region would be established because someone heard the cry for help. And they said, you need help? I've been helped. I'm all in. Because listen, those who will help, they're going to need help. God gave Paul a team. God's given me people that serve around me and that are huge help to me. And God's giving you the same thing. And God's given Pastor Chapel that. And every pastor that's represented in this room, God's given them plenty of help. And those who will help, they, they're going to have to make some sacrifices. You willing to do that? Those who will help, they must see the need, yes. And those who will help must not delay. Listen, there's a lost and dying world. I believe the trumpet's getting ready to sound. We cannot wait any longer. Let's put the, let's put the immediately back into our Christian faith. And let's get serious about helping this lost and dying world. Father, would you take these few simple thoughts from Acts chapter number 16 and would you use them, Lord, in a profound way. Father, I pray for the student body. Lord, they are the hope of, of our world. And I pray, Father, that you would do a great work in them and through them. Lord, would you bless this time of invitation? 
Lord, I pray that if you've worked in some hearts, they would be willing to humble themselves and respond. Reaffirm and rededicate themselves to be a help in this world.